at AIA Australia, helping your clients in their time of need is our number one priority. In 2016, we paid over $1.15 billion in claims to both retail and group members. That's over $4.5 million every working day. To offer your clients cover you can trust, chat to your AIA CDM today. And we are live. Sold out from the arena. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, whenever I say we're live, I immediately go to that UFC guy, Bruce Buffer. I love UFC, man. I like uh, uh, it's it's my favorite sport, bar none. Is that because of the physicality of it? It's because <laughs> where else do you, yeah exactly nothing nothing's more appealing than big muscular men just wrapping their arms and legs around each other, smashing their noses to to smithereens. Correct, correct. Um, but we actually are live um, on our Facebook group with almost 1,200 members at this stage. So if you're listening to the podcast or the video uh, from a later point, then you can watch it live from inside the group. Um, today we have Steve, Steve Crawford, ex uh, Wollongong, current um, Melbourneite. Um, fancies himself, I'd say, probably more of a Melbourneite than he is, to be fair. We're going to call a spade a spade. Um, also considers himself the, the, the expert of cash flow. However, uh, you know, I, I'd like to sort of uh, claim that as well. Um, so there's a competition there, naturally, between me and Steve. Um, and so here we're going to discuss... Um, cash flow and all things financial planning and because we're a little bit of agitators we might get into that as well welcome to the podcast my friend for the second time right thanks buddy and uh yes you are technically correct that i am well you know i was born in brisbane and grew up in brisbane until i was about 10 and then was in the gong from 10 to 23 Sydney for about three or four years and uh, Melbourne for about 11 or 12 now. So I've probably got two more years to go before I can say I am 100% official Melbourneite. But uh, um, yeah, and, and we will debate the merits of whether or not you created and, and pioneered cash flow advice. There's <laughs> a difference between pioneering something and actually being effective at it. And mate, I'm happy to give you a point. <laughs> fair play, fair play. Um, no, I, I think I'll, we'll talk about this last time. Um, literally the day that I decided that I was going to be a cash flow advisor and no one else was doing it and I was going to like lead the way, literally at that pretty much exact point, my BPM goes, um, goes, oh, by the way, have you heard of my spending coach? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, thanks, Steve. Stealing my thunder, mate. Anyway, um, yeah. So let, let's 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 dive into that a little bit. Um, cash flow. Why did you get into it, and why do you think it it helps? Um, if I'm brutally honest, when we started doing it, or when I started doing it, it was more of a compliance ask covering exercise more than anything else because um, I'd never been an advisor before when when I started. Obviously, I hadn't been an advisor when I started, but I'd never even like worked in an advice practice. I've come straight out of Insto land and, um, and I had to do a statement of advice. And um, my biggest issue was 
um, my biggest issue was that I was so paranoid that I was going to get sued um, that I wanted to validate stuff before I put it into a statement of advice. So I sort of went through the logic and go, okay, validating income's easy, just grab pay slips, assets and liabilities, pretty easy to validate. Um, let's validate some expenses. And I asked my local friendly compliance person, how do you do that? And their response was, well, you just look at the fact find and people write down what they spend. I'm like, yeah, but what if they have no idea? And they're like, I don't know. So I was like, I'm not having this. So I forced my clients to like manually download at least a month, if not two months worth of Excel, like CSV wow. files out of their accounts and send it to us. Yeah. And I'd clean it up, um, manually reconcile their stuff. And from that, I'd ascertain an expense figure. And then I'd sort of drag that out to a 12 month projection and then chuck those numbers into the statement of advice. Um, and like, maybe my advice was crap. Maybe who knows what it was, but you know, the clients would go through the statement of advice with me and they'd be more interested in the budgeting and the cash flow stuff than the 175 other pages on. Yeah. Super and, and so, you know, as a burgeoning or a, an infant business, when your client handful of clients at that stage go, can you do more of this stuff for us? Obviously the answer is yes. And then later on, you know, I've got to work out how the hell am I going to do this? Uh, and that's, that's really, that made to be brutally honest. That's where it started as a, as a, like most things in my business as, as a bit of an accident, but turned out to be pretty valuable. Talking about valuable accidents, mate, uh, new deal group of the year. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks mate. Again, uh, as I come from a long line of, wait, what? How did I? Oh, yeah, I meant to do this all along. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, totally, um, totally. I mean, it's, it sounds like we've got pretty similar um, stories of how we stumbled into cash flow. I, um, I, I sort of did it by accident as well, yeah, because no one was sort of talking about doing it. And then I, I had a client come in, they said, um, really appreciate all the work you've done, super insurance, investments, yada, yada. Um, but that's all future-based. Is there anything you can do to help me now? Because I actually need some support uh, with my life as it is today, not just, you know, umpteen years into the future. And, um, and what I did was I started just with him, one client, budgeting for him in the same way that I'd been budgeting for myself since I was like 21. So I remember when I was 21, 22, um, I'd just come out of music and I knew nothing about money. And I like dove head first into rich dad, poor dad, um, and all that sort of stuff. And that's a lot about cash flow, right? He, he's a lot about cash flow. And, uh, and I made this budget for myself, these five buckets, and, uh, and I ended up doing really well on a very small income. Um, I was able to sort of go traveling it, it, through, um, it, through Europe and things like that on, on like a tiny, tiny income. And so I figured if I could do it for myself, I could probably do it for this one guy. Um, and, then, and then it just, yeah, cascaded out of that. So it's a great, I think it's a really good close to home service offering that adds value in a financial life 
of of clients and um and to see obviously you 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 took that another few steps on would you now train other advisors on on how to provide this type of service um but it it's it it actually made me feel really good doing it myself but also knowing that uh even though we didn't know each other at the time that you were actually doing it somewhere else as well and um it kind of validated what what i was doing and and now it's it's almost uh you know due to your perhaps evangelical work but it's certainly it's certainly a very common um part of a lot of us xy advisors um i i i mean are you happy to see that or or do you see that still got a while to go Oh, mate, it's um, evangelical is absolutely the right term. Um, I I am starting to get used to how many circles I am referred to or or within I am being referred to as evangelical. I'm okay with that now because it's not always (laughs) negative. Uh, I think it's still got a long, long way to go, right? So I think we're still, you know, the the fact that when I started there wasn't even a – a software to be able to do it. It was the same with you. It's old school pen and paper and bank accounts and Excel. And, and then, you know, we started using zero, which, you know, wasn't even created for this purpose. We just sort of bastardized it. And, and now you've got money soft and money brilliant and my prosperity and cash master. And there's, there's like, hundreds of these guys that are going to pop up and there's going to be more and more of them. And I think the reason why there's going to be more, like if you started with a, it's, it's ironic, but if you started your planning practice or um, your financial coaching business or whatever it was from the customers or the client's perspective first, and you sat down with them and if the industry had its time again, and it sat with our targets market and it said things like, what do you think financial advice is? <laughs> I reckon Great question. I reckon they're going to start with help me with my money and help me make decisions and then the other stuff will happen. But it's, yeah. such a, it's such a blight on our industry that we still today train the newbies that come into it on the, on the arsene-driven process of product-led advice which is retirement planning and super and insurance and investment planning. And, and we, I mean, I'm not saying this stuff's not valuable. We do it with our clients, but still in 2017, the industry default model for training new financial advisors is to start with a friggin' product and then push the advice that, that drives that product. And people just don't, I don't know. Our clients don't think like that. Our clients start with the stuff that's the most tangible as yours were. Help me with my money. Like, and then then we can talk about that other stuff, you know? So I think we've got a long, from an industry point of view, I think we've got a really long way to go still, Mm. but I'm so stoked that there's, um, there's, you know, literally hundreds, I would imagine now hundreds of advisors, um, that are having a crack at this and some of them have sort of surpassed us, which is fantastic. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I, I, I truly hope that it, we're still going to have this sort of exponential uptick with more and more people doing it. Cause that'll force the industry to get its head around what this stuff actually can look like and how valuable it can be for the client, 
for the practice, the advisor, and, and obviously the licensee and aggregator at the end as well. Yeah, I, I remember I did an article not too long ago for the IFA just saying that the industry is focused on lump sums. So it's either lump sum investment or lump sum loan. And that that's really the industry is just too focused on. And you're right, if, if we could start again with no legacy, you, you would you would start with cash flow. Um, I, I know I know a few of the guys that that do cash flow now. To to echo your words, are, are doing a much better job uh, than ever I was um, at, in in my advice days. Um, so it, it feels good to have to have hopefully played a role in in bringing light onto in onto the cash flow in financial services. And I think it's also I think financial planning. In its um, in its entirety, is actually just comes down to, to two things: it's offering value and receiving value. So, offering value as a financial advisor, it just looks like helping someone with money type topics. Right? So, anything that's a money topic, you help with that. You add value and you receive value in in monetary terms. You get to charge a fee, and so. Literally financial advice means however the fuck you want to help someone with their money or however the fuck they need help with their money. And then you just get to charge a fee for helping them. That is financial advice. And in that is all of these things that are, that are, that are you know, the investments, the super insurances, everything we're already doing. But there's a lot of stuff that isn't that traditional piece. And, and since FOFRA, I think that's been the big the, the unrealized um, uh, gain for both clients and for advisors in this exchange of value is is cash flow and and that and even like we talk about cash flow but I feel like that's even just the tip of the iceberg because you've got all this whole coaching and behavioral which which is that goals based advice which has been around for a long time but it I would love to see. And, and I'm not sure if the, if the broader industry would like to see it, but I would like to see um, financial advice, what it looks like without any product. And, and I've heard of people doing this. I've heard that no one's been able to do it successfully and profitably. Um, you see a lot of these sort of uh, financial coaches, quote unquote, that aren't financial planners um, for a while, actually, when I when I sold my business, I was considering doing something like that um, because there's definitely scope for it. I mean, you don't need to be licensed to to give cash flow advice by any means. Um, you don't even need an SOA. I used to do a, an advice letter um, just to illustrate what I was doing, but it, it's actually crazy that you don't need. Oh, is it crazy? I don't know. I don't know if it's crazy or not, but it, it it's crazy that an SOA needs a statement this big and that something to do with cash flow needs something a, a lot smaller. So there's, there's absolutely scope for, um, for advice without any product, whether you'd want to do that. I don't, I don't think it necessarily should be a, a priority, but it'd be interesting nonetheless to see. Yeah. We've got an offer of um, one of our ongoing, but you can be a client of ours and just do cash flow with no financial product stuff. So we do offer that. So we have a money management plan, which is the setup of your basically your, your budgeting and your cash flow stuff. Um, 
So that's 995 bucks to get that set up. And then we charge um, 150 bucks a month for a single or 200 bucks a month for couples to basically just do virtual cash flow coaching. Now we do include a, um, a traditional annual review in that fee. Um, but we, we, we do offer it. I mean, there's not, I, I'm with you. I think the, the end, the end, the reason why people do, but take up budgeting and cash flow advice is they typically want to increase their savings. That's the number one driver of it. And the logical flow from that is after I've increased my savings, what do I do with it? And so I think you're better placed as a financial advisor to have the downstream conversations because you do have access to financial products. Um, but ironically, I actually think budgeting and cash flow advice probably sits better in the mortgage broking space than it does in the advice space because I of agree. the banking and the lending side. And, and so I yeah. think the biggest, you know, where your question before was, you know, where do you see this headed? How far are we gone? I think mortgage broking will run with this harder um, than financial planners have. Once yeah. they realize of the value, brokers are still a, a little bit behind in terms of their development of moving away from product-based sales. Um, but once they put the two together and, and look, that I think that's going to be um, expedited because you have a nation now that has probably got about as much debt as it can stomach and <laughs> is starting to entertain the idea that paying that shit off is probably a good idea. Um, <laughs> before interest rates head north and they can't afford their hashtag smash dav anymore. <laughs> um, and so when that happens, you know, everything's sort of, every, look, I know how the, the world works. Businesses, when everything's working really, really well, they're not going to overly invest in a, in a new frontier. But mm. um, when things start to tighten up and they've got to find a new way to do things, um, they'll go to where the demand is. And, and if you look at the research, um, bits and pieces like KPMG does the banking on success or banking on the future um, research and the three years into that now and, and ING did research into what Gen X and Gen Y were looking for. And you, you cross those two pieces of research over number one and number two with a bullet in terms of what people are looking for help with is help me with my savings and then help me work out my goals. And most of the goals if they're Gen Ys is lifestyle driven and if they're Gen Xs, it's property driven. So, mm. you know, the industry will catch up. Um, you know, there's excuses as to why it's taking as long as it is. Um, and some of those are just excuses and especially those that are tucked under a, let's call them a vertically integrated licensee. Um, those guys find it arguably a little bit harder. Um, and no, Matt Groat, there is not a rant count. And you've known me long enough now to know that this, this rant could go for hours and it'll probably extend beyond the time that Clay turns off the Facebook Live thing. And you'll appreciate that rant. Because my rants benefit you guys. And Clay loves a rant as much as I do. Yes, sir. <laughs> but uh, closing off the rant so that these guys can get into some detailed uh, Q&A type stuff, um, the more, we, the more we push on this, the default position from licensees has always been it. It lives inside an SOA. 
Mm. It's garbage. They don't even think their way through this stuff. They just sort of spew this crap out and go, Mm. I don't really understand it, but put it into an SOA and then we'll see where we go. And that just adds layers and layers of non unnecessary complexity. Um, And so, and I hate it, right? So I do the workshops and, and now I'm doing the school as well. And people that ask questions, and I teach them how to do this stuff. And then the, and then it'd get to the point where we have to discuss how they're going to deal with their licensee. And you can literally see the excitement from everything that they've just learned, just drain out of their face when they realize that the licensee is going to crush my ability to do this. Now, some of them have been really lucky because their licensees are more open-minded, but some of them are in more of the traditional old school ones. And it's just like, it's just, yeah, it crushes their spirit. So the reason why I rant and the reason why Clay rants about his stuff is because if we don't talk about this, then they're just going to keep pushing back and going, no, 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 no. But the more we push, the more we show them the other way, the more we show them that this stuff doesn't need to be buried under reams and reams of paper Mm. for cost. um, Hopefully, you know, they'll open it up. And then that, that's when that happens, the floodgates will open because the fintech's there now. The client demand is there. Yeah. The advice community demand is there. The last piece of the equation is the, uh, is the compliance regime. We just need to push through that barrier and then, and then mate, it, this stuff's going to go ballistic. Yeah, you bring up a really, really good point regarding how it fits in better with mortgage brokers. And that, that is a very good point. Now, I have no doubt the fact that uh, uh, you're training mortgage brokers as we speak on this may assist with that expansion. Um, but it's a very good point. When I was advising, I actually, uh, my best referrals were from mortgage brokers. So, and, and, it, and it would look like this. Um, per client A comes to get a loan. Client A can't get a loan because they don't have a history of savings. Mortgage broker goes, well, I still want the job, but you know, it's just going to be a year or two until I pull it off, send them to Clay. Clay will fix them, fix them up, um, charge them a couple of bucks, get the result. Yay, we've got the loan. Um, really good point. They don't need to send to an advisor because there is no licensing requirements. If they sat down and learnt how to do this, Mortgage brokers could absolutely be uh, pulling in. Uh, I mean, it's such a perfect overlap for them. So for advisors to jump on this before mortgage brokers do um, shows you that the, yeah, that the, it's the demand uh, for this type of advice. Um, and actually a little bit later today, I'm doing another podcast about uh, general insurance because I feel like uh, there are multiple revenue sources for advisors or mortgage brokers to do and all of these sort of professional services are coming together and yeah absolutely if if someone is a mortgage broker and a financial planner i mean it's a no no brainer to do this type of work because you're just picking up every single piece of that value chain um why wouldn't you do it i i i think it's crazy yeah and that's why we initially we referred our so our sort of lending implementation model and banking implementation model was straight to branch because I came out of corporate and it was sort of better the devil, you know, mm. um, 
And so obviously there's limitations around product implementation there. And so we, we moved to a um, referral model to a, to a mortgage broker and, and, and the guy's really, really good, but we sort of found through the exercise that our clients didn't really understand why we needed to send it off somewhere else. Um, and so we thought through the idea of bringing it in house and, and you yeah, had this more and more clients kept going, why aren't you guys doing this? You're doing all the banking structuring. You're doing effectively the lending structuring. You're just giving me to the mortgage broker to tick the loan off. And that bit's the easy bit. Um, so we brought it back in house. So we brought it in house 18 months ago. And, and when Sarah came to work for us, it was actually one of the, um, one of the things that was, the most appealing about bringing her into the, the business two years ago was that not only was she uh, an advisor, but she also had a mortgage broking license as well. So um, that's been brilliant because you've got, we've got someone in house now that, that does it and loads of the coaches, the, the advisors that I've been working with um, in recent times have probably seen that as more of an avenue because they sit there and they go, Oh, but I've got a mortgage broker that refers to me now. And I go, yeah, but does he really, when you scratch the surface, it's tightening up. Like, I don't know about what you're seeing in the market, but I'm, I'm seeing less and less referrals coming from the brokers to the planners. Um, and so the planners are open to the idea of cutting that relationship off and replacing it with, you know, them doing it in house. And, and obviously that's a scary, it's a scary thought of shutting off a, a referral source. Mm. But the challenge back to them is, you know, if, if, if you can get more internal referrals from your existing clients by increasing the value that you deliver to them by bringing in another in-house service, aren't you just replacing one referral with another and, and actually you're taking more control of the referral because it sits with you and your clients as opposed to it being externally. Plus obviously there's the revenue component to it as well. Yeah. Um, are you on a laptop where you are? I am. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm on my phone and I can see the message uh, sort of questions are popping up. But I can I can only read like the first couple of words. There's a couple from there's a couple from Dylan. He said he, he's got a couple of questions. He loves a long question. I'll read it out. We've got Dylan. Dylan's from the Gong. He likes long walks along the beach <laughs> up towards South Beach where he hangs out with his mates on a Friday night. Dylan's first question. Um, feedback from a young client of it's more of a statement feedback from a young client of why they would refer to a friend. Can you comment on this type of response and how surprised your clients are with our approach? I.e., we aren't about denying you things you like generally interested in your goals and where you want to spend your cash rather than telling us where we should spend it, even budgeting for the daily coffee. Um, so that's the first one. That's, that's a really interesting point because, I think one of the things advisors, not, not the XY crew, obviously, because we're all new school, but um, well, the younger ones are new school and I just hang out with the new school kids. Uh, <laughs> a lot of old mates, let's call them old mates because it's, it's the right term to use. Um, a lot of old mates, when they get into budgeting and cash flow, they sort of extend the old world training of, I'm going to tell you the right way to do things. And they extend that mentality into the cash flow conversation and that, unintentionally sometimes leads to them telling their clients where they should cut back on from their spending. And we have this sort of have this really, we have an essential agreement with our clients. We'll never tell you what you can and can't spend money on. We'll just show you the outcomes of your choices. And in exchange, you won't tell us how we 
um, how we set up the program and how we categorize your transactions. Um, and, and there's benefits for that from a benchmarking point of view, which we can talk about later if you want. But one of the biggest benefits is it, it, uh, it doesn't have this issue then, which is, oh, so you mean I, if I want to spend money on, on stuff, I can, and you're not going to tell me not to, not to get coffees and do all that sort of crap. And, and I think if you try to, if you try to own it too much, um, money's like the most personal financial oh, totally. um, component by miles. Right. And, yeah. and I know your, your book talks a lot about this stuff. Copies available on, on Amazon. Um, uh, but it is, it's so personal. And so I think if you start invading their space in this, you, you just become a creeper, like an old mate creeper. That's like just getting in there. Yeah. And you just yeah. got to let them do it. Like you're not their parent. Mm. You're not their coach. You, you got to, if they want to make dumb decisions, your job is to highlight the stupidity of the decision and the outcome yeah. and the ramification of the decision, not to yeah. stop them from doing it. They're going to do it anyway. So we're yeah. huge advocates of that. And one way that plays out is like we, we track our clients cash withdrawals, but we don't believe in like little cash track, cash spending and write down it's, it's bullshit. Like you're micromanaging their world, you're just destroying their soul. So give them some freedom. Um, would be would how I'd, would be how I'd answer that, mate. Yeah, I've I've got a similar. So the the, the five bucket method that I used was really good, um, as it did exactly what you you were talking about, Steve. In that we would go through each bucket and say how much they needed to allocate or wanted to allocate, and by the time we got to sort of the last bucket, oftentimes uh, the number. Um, their, their weekly surplus or or uh, or debit, if you want to call it that, um, was would 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 be very clear. And so it wasn't me giving any instructions or or insights. It was just simply uh, a transparency of a fi- of an entire financial life in front of both of both me and the client, and we would look at it on the big screen in real time. And then say, okay, well, you're spending 300 or 150 or 60 bucks more than you make uh, after tax. So I'm not going to tell you what what you need to do, but let's massage this because clearly it only has one direction and, and that's down. So if we want to achieve one, two, three, four, five, these five things that you want to achieve, um, Obviously, it needs to come from somewhere. One of these buckets has too much, um, uh, is, is spending too high. Is it, is it uh, your long-term investments? Is it, is it your short-term uh, spending? Is it, you know, uh, like any, any, any of the things, but we would massage. And the best thing about that was it wasn't advice. It was transparency. I'm, this is no hoodoo magic. This is just your life in one, in one screen. Um, and with that, I had a hundred percent buy-in hundred yeah. percent buy-in from clients because um, it was just so obvious. And most people never get that moment of clarity, never see because how useless are bank statements, yeah. a bunch of debits and credits. And it's not set up to read, uh, usefully 
Um, and so, and so yeah, the cash. So to to, to Dylan's uh, statement slash uh, question, um, yeah, I was never about uh, infiltrating or or encroaching is the word actually um, onto someone's lifestyle. Or, or decisions. It was it was a massage, and it was a it was a joint it was a joint uh, conclusion that we both came to. Then it was my job to uh, keep them accountable. Yeah, agree a hundred percent. I think, and because I can see the questions, and I know you can't. So, uh, how about we answer the second part of Dylan's the, the sub point to Dylan's question, and then Troyden's got a question, which I'm sure everybody else is more interested in, rather than you and me ranting about stuff. <laughs> How do we actually get started and what software to use? And I won't talk about specific software, but I will talk about how to get started. And the banking seg, the, the banking stuff's a brilliant segue into, into what this stuff actually is, right? So let's, let's finish off Dylan's question. So sub point, if you highlight where they're going wrong and the outcomes, but they still won't do it, is it just a case of you tried to educate and coach, but it won't work? And the answer is yes. So when I, I don't actually use the term cash flow with our clients at all. Um, and it's not because it's the wrong term. It just doesn't, it just doesn't work with us. And we're trying to have, give them clarity around what it is that we're actually talking about. So we talk about the clients getting a money management program, which is a program funnily enough designed to help them manage their money. There's three components to that. There's the budget, there's the banking structure, and then there's the reporting around how they're going. And then my role and the team's role, Chris and Sarah, is to be the coach that helps them get the most out of the money management program to um, be the best version of themselves financially, right? And so the best place to get started in that, and, and you have to start in this place, is by them setting a budget. So you've got to do that initially. All right, if they don't set a budget, and there's four stages to budgeting, you know, acceptance, awareness, improvement, performance. If they don't accept, here's the evangelical bit. If they do not accept that the path of the righteous man <laughs> is that they need a budget, yeah, you can't help them because what they're effectively saying, and you already started swearing, so I'm just opening this thing. They basically said, I don't give a shit what you think. I'm going to spend my money like I do not care, and I'm not going to be accountable to you. To her. I'm not even yeah. going to be accountable to me. Yeah, you can't yeah, yeah. Coach that, right? So if they don't yeah. accept that, unless they put some sort of measurement, a hard measurement, not a soft, touchy, feely, talk about feelings bullshit, unless yeah. they put a hard measurement on how I'm managing my money, so they've got a success or fail point, then they're never going to be any good. But once you get them past that point, and that's arguably the hardest one to get and some people deal into your question some people just aren't ready for it so you know when i was 25 i had no interest in budgeting until melissa and i got pregnant earlier than we anticipated and this is now the the fifth time i've told this story live and she's really asking me to stop doing it but i just won't because i love her so much oh, um, <laughs> But the difference between the 25-year-old me who doesn't know that we're pregnant and the 25-year-old me that does know that we're pregnant is 100% psychological. And so before that happens, we have no reason to budget. And after that happens, we have a very well-defined reason to budget. Mm, mm, so if people mm. don't have a reason to budget, it doesn't matter how good your program is. Moving beyond that, um, there's a lot of... The best thing and the worst thing about the space that we're in right now is you have 
you're spoiled for choice with technology and that's fantastic, right? So I rattled off four providers before and I'm not sure whether I was meant to do that, but it's too late now. Let's just say there's, there's multiple providers, right? That you could use. The problem with the providers on their own is they only cover off two of the three cornerstones. They do budgeting and they do reporting. They don't pick up banking and banking to Clay's point earlier. Um, I actually think banking is the single most important out of the three because banking shows them what they've got that's spendable dollars. And in this world where everything that they want to pay for is now paid for by tapping this thing or their mm. watch, you know, mm. it's old school to get your card out and heaven help if I've got to actually insert the card into the friggin' FPOS terminal and then mm. push buttons for a pin. I'm not doing that. Mm -hmm. everything's tap right mm. so if you if you're not if you're not in their banking structure if you're not deprogramming their crap habits and then rebuilding it with good ones so they can basically run on on autopilot and not subconsciously blow their shit up then you're not helping them and your and your fintech your your pfm your personal financial management software that's not going to solve that problem totally it's help with your budgeting and it's absolutely going to help with the, with the reporting side um, because it's live feeding. And that stuff's amazing. But if your banking structure with them is garbage, if you, don't, if you don't work through with them, when's it good to use a credit card and when's it not too good to use a credit card, they're just tapping and going. And they're just going to, all you're going to be doing is reporting on the train wreck that is their financial life. So you can't, do not discount and dismiss the banking side. It is easily the biggest one out of the other two get that bit right i think if you took the tech away from us now it probably wouldn't be as good but i reckon we'd be we'd be more successful with a banking structure with no fintech supporting it than we would be with the fintech without the banking stuff so i think that's 100 started emotionally they buy into a budget and then get your head around your banking structure and your fintech stuff is last. It's absolutely the last decision that you make because all that does is give you efficiency and scale. Mm. But without the other two sorted, without a good budgeting conversation with them and without a good banking structure, your fintech's going to be useless. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how I would suggest getting started, um, if you make, if you have a cash flow conversation as a part of, uh, the onboarding, I used to do the SOA and the advice letter on, on, on the, the banking separate anyway. Um, it, it's, it's quite an easy conversation to have. Uh, Dylan, mate, just shoot me an email and I can send you my, my five buckets calculator. Um, the, the way that, that it's set up is that it would just show someone it, their, their financial life. So even if they didn't come in specifically for that, you can just add that as, as a free sort of transparency, five, 10 minute exercise for the client. They're going to walk away, have a lot more clarity over their financial life. Um, so at the very least, you look like a hero. Um, and, and, and at best, they become a client and start paying you extra to add more value to their life. So um, yeah, it's, it's about uncovering that need. So, so that awareness piece and acceptance um, it, it just sort of echoing what, um, what Steve has said. And yeah, the, the tech, I, I was a big fan of, um, I, I will actually uh, say what I was using, uh, with my prosperity, um, because they did, uh, and they do sort of quarterly or monthly or annually or biannual, um, reports that are automatically sent out to the client that say how 
someone's tracking to what we set out to achieve, which is pretty powerful. Again, adding that layer of transparency um, for, for zero work as well as the, you know, as, as an advisor, it's always great to, to beef up that FDS uh, line items and saying, you know, regular cash flow reporting, considering there's no additional work involved. I, of, of course, you've got to stay on top of it, um, but you don't have to personally send out the reports. That, that, was, a, that was a great piece of tech. All right, so let's, um, let's fight about this because I, okay. I don't have an issue with my prosperity, right? So we, we're, and we're working with them and we're, as and, we're and, working. And they're a Victorian-based company, mate. And they're a Victorian-based company your, now. If you, now. If you want to be seen as Victorian, you've got to support the local. Now, look, I love... <laughs> I, I did a lot of work with Chris Reed when he was at um, Zero, and, oh, right. and he's the CEO there now. So he's yeah. and, he, and he'll he'll make that one great as as Money Soft to be great and Money Brilliance great as well. They're the they're the, the three that we sort of think are sitting head and shoulders above. And Zero is still good. Like we're not shifting off Zero. We're staying there because it works for us. But yep. this argument around to automate or to just create efficiencies, um, I don't have a problem with automation. But I do have a problem with automation where you're just pushing out incorrect garbage data. So I think the biggest risk financial advisors face is if you're automated, and let's draw a parallel, right? So if you push out an automated report off your investment platform with returns, that shit's accurate. Like the balance is accurate. The return figures are accurate. So you don't have any, any fear whatsoever that what's going out is going to be inaccurate. If you don't work with your fintech properly and you don't understand the rules engines and make sure that the thing's categorizing transactions properly, it is going to push out incorrect data. And yes. when and the problem with the, and, and Willow, my business partner, he deals with the other software uh, side of Xero um, and he's all over this stuff. And, and he says to me, Croft, the, the issue is not the number of incorrect transactions, it's that one of those incorrect transactions could be worth 10 grand. And if it's an expense or it's something as simple as a transfer between accounts and it incorrectly picks it up as income or it incorrectly codes it as a reduction of an expense, the bottom line is going to be out by 10 grand and you won't know it until it's already gone. And that's a massive issue. So, I push back on advisors. Absolutely. Don't, would you start today and create a CSV version and download transactions? No, you wouldn't. But at the same time, does that mean that by default you, you let the pendulum swing a hundred percent to the other way and you go fully automated and you don't run eyes over that stuff? Hell no. You, you've got to have your, uh, your processes down pat to the more you automate, you've got to increase your audit because you, yes. can't, you can't let that shit go through. The other stuff, yep. that, the other reason why I'm not a massive fan of automation, the, uh, depending on what research you read, but, you know, most advisors, if they're going from sort of like initial to annual review, they're seeing their clients twice a year and they might fire mm. out a newsletter. Uh, you've got an opportunity to add a service that is not only extremely valuable, but you want to talk about FDS fillers. Our clients get weekly snapshots that we generate which go out about 48 weeks of the year because four weeks of the year it doesn't overlap they get 48 weekly snapshots they get 12 monthly reports they get quarterly progress meetings and we tailor that stuff so you're trying to find an fds filler 
And so we tailor it so that when it goes through, they know that it's there. Yes, there's a little bit of time that goes into that stuff and not everybody has to go to the extreme fundamentalist sort of evangelical version that we've gone to. Yes. But you've, you've gone from having minimal touch points to something where you can have a touch point. Don't let the system steal your thunder by automatically sending this stuff through. Like, or if you do do that, think through it and deliberately strategically choose which parts of the communication process am I going to get the AI to do and mm. which parts are we going to control? And that's the stuff that I'm, that when I talk to the coaches that I'm working with, um, you know, I don't know. One of the questions was, you know, what's the best software? The answer is um, they're all good and they're all bad depending on what you want them to do. You, you've got to have a thought process around how you select this stuff and then that drives how, how hard you use your tech and how much you dial up the automation um, features versus, you know, dialing it back a bit. Yeah, absolutely. I guess I should have gave a caveat. When you are doing the automation, your, your need to audit. Don't apologize. Is, Stand it, on it, your morals. Choose <laughs> pull out source it, all the way. Yeah, but you do, you, you do, you, you, you've got to check that the information is correct and, and you've got to be able to, you've got to have a process that is red flagging, um, any, any potential issues. Absolutely. Yeah. And look, I'm not um, having a go at you because the, the reality is you, you speak to these FinTech guys and, and, and they're getting better at admitting that their stuff's not completely infallible. You know, it does, it does have mistakes in it. Um, mm. but I think the, the, the rookie mistakes, are that they, the rookie players will just add stuff in and they think the rules engine that categorizes stuff is, is just infallible and it's not, you, you, you have to have eyes on this stuff. And for every time you go up in automation, you got to in lockstep, move up your order process to check. Yeah. Well, it, it, and, and, and actually I've, I've been learning a little bit more about this and we can sort of dive in. I, I don't know how much you know about this, but you, so Yodely, which is essentially the engine behind all of these uh, software, um, they're screen, screen grabbing. They're, 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 they're not necessarily uh, getting the, the CSV files. They're, they're scanning pages and interpreting that into CSV information, which, which is then output elsewhere. Interestingly, um, I know Ben Nash was looking into this. You can get your own Yodely license for, for like ten or fifteen thousand dollars, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was not particularly an exhaustive amount. Um, so technically, you know, Yodely could could you know, Steve, you could build your own software. I, I guess that's that's the interesting part. Um, so so yeah, Yodely is isn't perfect, um, and yeah, can be used by uh, pretty much anyone, I believe. Yeah, I'm a massive fan of sticking to your knitting and not building your own software. Like we looked at it. We looked at it when there was nothing and it was going to be like at least a quarter of a mil just to get off the ground. Um, and then you got all your other development stuff. But even if you just pulled the oddly feeds in and chucked them into something else. Oh, look, I'm not, I'm not to... saying you were, I'm not saying you, you necessarily should, but it's, 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 it's an example of how, accessible um this technology really yeah. is and so yeah i think to your point it's there's going to be more and more so what will come with the more commoditization of the data 
um, in terms of the ability to access it as opposed to what, what happens with it. But um, as that happens and, and that infrastructure starts to open up, you'll have more software providers moving into the space. Hell, you, you might have the financial planning software finally come down out of their hierarchy and, uh, and see that cash flow is valuable and they might start adding feeds in. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think I, 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 I'm really optimistic that we've really just scratched the tip of the iceberg in terms of what, what will happen um, in and around this space. And, and that's got to be a good thing for everyone because it's going to force the more the big players get involved, the more the licensees are going to have to open up their mind to how, how advisors can do this without burying them in reams of statement of advice text. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, the cash flow piece as well, because it's profitable from an advisor point of view, because an advisor can pick up a client who's 28 years old, makes 200 grand a year and has 20K in assets, right? So typically uh, under traditional financial planning, that wouldn't be profitable to either the advisor or the licensee or the product. These days, um, you know, a, a $200,000 per year client with $20,000 in assets is profitable to the advisor, but not to the licensee and not to the product provider. Yeah. Which, which, which is which is why I find it really interesting because cash flow advice adds value to a to a, to an advisor and the practice, but because there's no lump sum, because there's no there's no product that's that's being catered to from either a licensee or or a product provider's point of view, they've never pushed it. They've never cared about they've never cared about cash flow because they've never been able to profit from it well now but, i'm glad you said that not me but but, <laughs> but, but now uh advisors are cluing into the fact that it can be very profitable for them even if it's not profitable for uh, from other state point of stakeholders point of view yeah and so this is one of those things where the value will the value of the service to the client will always trump everything else and eventually the the provider of the service um, and I know the Americans love, um, and, and my good mate, Pat Flynn, who I've, uh, I've barely spent any time with at all, other than virtually listening to his podcasts. Um, he's one of his favorite things to say is, you know, who do you serve? And I love the idea that we're, we actually are in a service based industry and our clients and our customers with we're product providers should be who we're looking after. And if our clients want this stuff, and it's valuable enough for them and therefore it's valuable enough for us. We'll find a way. And so what ends up happening, um, I've had some advisors that I've worked with who've actually changed licensees because the licensee was uh, an impediment to their success in this space. Now, it's an extremely drastic move. But, you know, if, if at least they feel like there's a threat to them, then they're going to be more open-minded to it. And hopefully what's going to happen is it's going to reach a stage where um, it becomes far more normal and then there's not going to be as big of an issue. But and another thing that's coming off the back of this is, um, like today we're talking on, uh, on Zoom, it's going straight to Facebook Live and it's going to get recorded and you're going to chuck it up into a podcast and, you know, all of this shit didn't happen five years ago. And mm. so cash flow didn't really happen five years ago. Mm. Yeah, people are trying to deliver cash flow advice using the same old school mentality that 
that we were sort of all created with of I need to log need to log face-to-face eyeball to eyeball time. It's like, well, cash flow is one of those things where you can deliver it virtually better, arguably better than you can do in person because you're looking at the screen and you're analyzing numbers and yes, you're having conversations around stuff, but you know, screen sharing software, whether it's zoom or it's any of the other providers that are there um, actually makes it a lot easier because it's the modern version of the in-home appointment and, but it's something that gives you a reason to look at the screen and actually go through it. And um, another extension of that is once you say, well, well, maybe there's bits and pieces of it that we can deliver without any sort of virtual stuff. So we send our clients videos. So if you're on our virtual coach, which is our middle pack, our ongoing support package, um, you don't even get meetings with us. You just get videos. So once a quarter, you get a video, your own little personal hot nerd highlight reel of what's huh. been going on in your world for the last quarter. That's cool. Do you use Loom? No, because it's longer, we use Camtasia um, because we'll do some um, pan and zoom type stuff to highlight. I, 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 can't, I can't hear the word Camtasia without imagining... Fantasia, which yeah. was, which, which was like that's my favorite film of all time, right? Never any. Which means story. you're gonna love the software because it is literally <laughs> Fantasia for cameras. Everyone that's listening, Clayton has just started to go a little bit loopy, but <laughs> but you know what it does is it we started producing these videos um, for the the cash flow stuff and client the client feedback was amazing because we could punch little highlight packages out in 10 to 15 minutes. And, and a lot of our clients are in Sydney and Melbourne and they're just getting public transport to work. They can chuck their f- headphones in, whether they've got cords or not, with us to be debated, but uh, they can sit there with the phone and literally watch, watch their highlights package with us um, yeah. without us needing to be there. And, and that, They'll love that. And, but, and all of these things are starting to get under the skin of the licensee because you're not documenting stuff and sending it through that way. So I think it's, it, it's going to, the feedback from the client is going to continue to be great. We want to get this type of advice, get this type of service uh, and get it in this type of format. And then that's going to force the market to evolve where it becomes more of the norm. And I'm hoping that that, that has a, a transference into other aspects of advice. You know, we do have our own license now. We send our clients statement of advice, how to read your statement of advice videos. And they watch the video and then they read read their statement of advice using um, DocuSign and they have to click off on the approvals and then they digitally sign their SOA and it comes back to us. And the first time we have a meeting with them is actually the implementation of the advice. But that's done virtually as well because everything's done online. Oh, wow. And all of that was created out of where the cash flow stuff started because it's a um, non-traditional process. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, and that's the stuff why, that's why I'm so passionate about this because I've, we've seen in our business, the, the value of, of what we do based on the feedback that the clients give us. And, um, and that's why we keep pushing in a compliant way, absolutely. Like we, we, you know, we love the fact that we've got our own license now. We sure as shit don't want to lose it. So, mm. um, but challenge the status quo. Don't don't just think that because you're going to do this stuff, it, it lives in a box that's your boardroom. Um, you know, virtual meetings are a, are an absolute minimum if you're going to do this. Um, even better, go the next level and think about your video software, whether it's Loom, 
um, whether it's Camtasia, Fantasia, it doesn't matter. Like, uh, and, and obviously you guys are, are leading the way in, in all of this sort of modern, modern interaction client engagement stuff. Man, uh, does Camtasia have a plugin where Falcor can, yes. can just, can just yes, stream yeah. across? Okay, that's excellent. Yeah, it's totally worth using them. Um, so, so is there any, uh, if people are thinking about changing uh, dealer groups, and we, we had a really good uh, discussion with uh, Angus Woods about dealer groups last week, um, if someone's looking for, say, a new, say, award-winning startup, uh, deal we're not group, licensing anyone. Yeah, which is friendly towards our cash flow. Where, where would you suggest they look? Uh, not for us because we're terrible at uh, at we're, we're full or oh, we're full. We can't handle <laughs> right. PDMs. Yeah. Only good at looking after one or two people. Right, right, right. Okay, uh, you don't want to have to change. But what I'm watch this space, and I'm having uh, second party conversations with government body at the moment to try and get the for the first time this is my feedback it's the first time that this body's ever been asked for feedback around budgeting and cash flow advice and so wow we're hoping within the next two to three months we're actually going to get more of a definitive statement on this um mm. and then it and then it that'll shift things really quickly because that body will uh, i think you know who we're talking about that body will come back with this is what needs to go into a statement of advice and this is when it doesn't. And, and that's going to give undisputable clarity for your licensees and it will no longer be left to interpretation because at the moment, here's, here's the bookends. I'm working with one licensee at the moment and they're, I think they're closer to the truth. Their set of guidelines on this is like two or three pages. And then there's another licensee that I'm not working with at the moment, but I have done some work with in the past and I've seen their guidelines and it's 27 pages long. Whoa. And I sit there and I go, how can you be so far apart when we're talking about the same stuff? <laughs> but their guidelines on insurance and super and investments and retirement planning, would they'd be like 95% consistent. And that's the yeah. reason why everybody gets so friggin' frustrated on this stuff is because yeah. it's getting left to interpretation. We need to get the gray out of it. We need to make it black and white. And that's going to open the doors for everyone that's sitting on this call and every other call to go, right, that, that was the only thing stopping me because the clients want it. It's great for my practice. It, it opens doors to mortgage breaking, the fintech's ready to go. And then let's just have at it. Yep. Uh, I can see a bunch of statements coming up. Oh, and we're about to hit an hour as well. So let, let, let's hit one or two quick questions and, and we'll wrap this up. Uh, you got them? Can you read them or do you want me to read them? No, yeah. This is the first time I've done it like this and I okay. didn't realize I can't well, actually Dylan's, read the questions. Dylan's just said, because this is more of a statement, best XY live for some time. So I'm just putting that out. That's mainly you, Clay, because I don't know how many <laughs> XY lives get references to Fantasia. Um, <laughs> Okay, uh, let's do Anne's one. So, are you saying that fees charged for cash flow advice would be outside of licensing arrangements? No, Anne. Nice try to hit me under the bus with that one. Um, no, it's not. You need to stick to the terms of your arrangement with your licensee. Now, does that mean that the terms of your arrangement exclude you from charging this outside of licensee environments and therefore not needing to pay them a clip? I would investigate that if I was you. 
I'd strongly suggest that it's probably tied up in in the fee. Yeah, I, I think it, if if we're sitting here and saying it's work done under your business name and as financial advice, whether it's in an SOA or not, you'd probably want to err on the side of well, duh. I think and, you would I, to, well, because, I because you've been a little bit shit, you've been a little bit leading with your answer. So just, I'm agreeing just, you know, with you there because at the end of the day, you yeah. want to be covered by your PI, right? And you don't want to do Definitely. anything breaches that and and you need yeah. your licensee on site what i'm saying is go and talk to them and if they if they're gonna you get what you get and you don't get upset right if the licensee wants to get the benefit of the revenue from this then the licensee can pony up and give you support and if the licensee doesn't give you any support then why should they be getting any revenue other than the power oh, of the things I, 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 but i mean that's that's a whole other discussion it is a whole other discussion and then really quickly dylan's one uh how do we explain to our dealer group what we are doing with cash flow coaching only coaching without doing soa if i give banking structure advice not product advice is this okay dylan you're with uh count yeah can you, I know you're on the chat. If you can hit us back on that really quickly. But um, I know if you are with Count, Count has a set of guidelines that I help them develop. So go and talk to them and ask for those guidelines. And if, if they don't give them to you, ask me and I'll, I'll fire them through. Um, the biggest issue with what goes into statement advice and not is absolutely around the banking side. And it's, it's more to do with uh, getting caught up under basic, the product, um, basic deposit product because that gets tucked in under statements of advice. So as soon as you make reference to a basic deposit product, it has, because you're a financial advisor, you have an obligation to put it in a statement of advice. So if you talk conceptually at the moment, there's a, a, a general consensus that says, if you're just referencing, yeah, Dylan is with count, so that's good. Um, there's a general consensus that if you talk conceptually about bank accounts about without actually listing what they are, then you should be fine. Um, if you start referencing the actual account, then by default, it's got to go into a statement of advice. Um, but it should only be a couple of pages around the cash flow structure. So the banking diagram, money going in, money going out, um, and how that, how that works. And if you sign up for our course in our toolkit, we actually give you these templates. Oh, what website could that be found on? Uh, that would be, um, to, to make sure we're nice and clean, that would be for the Your Spending Coach course, <laughs> which can be found at uh, yourspendingcoach.com.au. Excellent, mate. All right, well, thank you very, very, very much for coming on. It's always a pleasure to chat with you, mate, but uh, in this particular case, we get to do it digitally. Always a pleasure to see that smiling face. Um, yeah, so for everyone that's uh, listening, we've got an event coming up in Sydney and then we'll be doing a party at the end of the year. So there's actually two more XY advisor events to come up for the rest of the year. But that's everything for today. Signing off. Pleasure to see you, mate. Speak soon. See you guys. Thanks.